Hi, this is Beth AQ, and this is the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. The Glass House is a space for spoken word artists, poets, sound makers, audio storytellers, emerging cultural leaders, thinkers, writers, and anyone who celebrates story as a means of self-expression, self-representation, and community building. I hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at BethanyAQ or the Triple R website. Everyone in the world has gone to bed one night or another with fear or pain or loss or disappointment. And yet each of us has awakened and arisen. There is the nobleness of the human spirit. Despite it all, black and white, Asian, Spanish, Native American, pretty, plain, thin, fat, vowed or celibate, we rise. My name is Beth AQ. The Glass House is presented each and every week on the stolen, unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional custodians of this land and pay my respects to Elders past and present, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Coming up on the show today, in just under 10 minutes, I'll be speaking with a very incredible Year 10 student, climate activist Romy, who is one of the co-hosts of a new youth-led podcast that comes from the Young Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. The podcast is uh, a new youth-led series with both co-hosts just 16 years old um, with the aim of inspiring people to get to know about the different types of activisms that are going on out there all through a youth perspective. And later on in the program, I'll be sharing a piece from All the Best, uh, as I tend to do every month. If you're not familiar with All the Best, it is a program for emerging audio storytellers. Uh, It is created from FBR Radio in Sydney in association with Sin Media and Triple R here in um, Melbourne. And today I'll be sharing a piece by NT-based person, Jackson Brown, who is going to share a personal story uh, that leads into his love for the weather. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, 
head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Romy Nolan is a Year 10 student passionate about philosophy, feminism, activism and climate action. She is a founding member of her high school feminist collective and in 2018 led the Children and Youth March for Kids Off Nauru. She is one of the two co-hosts of a brand new youth-led podcast from the Young Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. And it's a podcast series that aims to inspire people to learn about different types of activism through a youth perspective. And Romy joins me on the line now. Romy, welcome back to the Glass House. Thanks for your time this afternoon. Thank you so much. It is uh, a pleasure to have you on. Um, Now, Romy, before we delve into the work that you're doing with the podcast, can you tell me a little bit about your interest in activism and climate action and how you became involved in this work? Yeah, so I always kind of was engaged politically and interested in, like, what the world is and, like, yeah, how I exist within it and what my contribution is to what the world looks like. And so that kind of just blossomed into me looking into different ways that I can influence the world positively, which is how I got involved in refugee activism. I'm a member of School Strike for Climate. And then also when I heard about the Young Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, which is the organisation I'm part of, which does a podcast, yeah, I really wanted to get involved with that as well. That's amazing. You're doing so many different things uh, for positive change. It's really inspiring. Can you tell me a little bit about, I suppose, the the Young Women's International League for Peace and Freedom uh, network and, you know, what is it and and how did you first kind of get involved? Um, Yeah, so I found out about it from a family friend and had a meeting with the kind of head of the Young Women's Um, International League for Peace and Freedom in a coffee shop in Carlton and she told me all about all the great projects they were doing and I was really amazed and it's very kind of big picture work. They work with the UN but they also do a lot of local stuff and so I was really interested in getting involved. Um, Yeah, it has sections all across the world who voluntarily work to advance the objectives of the WILF um, and it's the oldest feminist peace movement in the world. It's currently 105 years old. Mm. Uh, It has 12,000 members. It's just pretty cool. It sounds very cool. Can you tell me, I suppose, a little bit about, um, yeah, the objectives of it and I suppose one of some of the things that you're really trying to push for um, as the kind of young cohort? Yeah, so one thing that's really important to us as the young aspect of the WILF is the representation of young people in key decision-making. Um, we make up, people under 25 make up almost half the world's population and our voices are largely missing with only 1.65% of parliamentarians in their 20s. And we're also impacted really differently by social issues, for example, the current recession um, and climate change. Uh, Yeah, they they, they impact young people really differently. So we think our perspective is really valuable. Mm -hmm. And that is another one of our big issues is climate change. We only have 10 years left to prevent irreversible damage. And we know that 83% of people in Australia want significant change, but it's not happening. So, yeah, we're really trying to push for that um, and support organisations like School Strike for Climate. The other thing that we really are trying to work on is changing the nature of kind of traditional Western foreign policy. We want a more transformative, multidimensional feminist approach um, that elevates marginalised groups' experiences and scrutinises the intersecting forces of patriarchy, racism, capitalism, colonisation, heteronormativity, imperialism, 
militarism. I'm sure there's some isms I've forgotten. Um, but we want to change the way we think about foreign policy as well, yeah. Mm. And I'm interested, I suppose, what that looks like on a, in a practical sense, like when you come together with uh, your, I suppose, colleagues of, of the kind of youth cohort, what, um, what kind of work do you do? What do you do when you kind of come together? Um, so it's a pretty, like, spread out network um, and we have a Facebook group and people just kind of push their own little projects and then we also get involved in um, more like national or international projects that the WILF is running. So there's like a kind of mix of grassroots and more institutional um, work. Um, yeah, we were going to be at the UN what is it, the UN Commission for the Status of Women um, this year, but obviously that didn't end up happening because of COVID. But, yeah, we're working on all that kind of stuff. <laughs> all that kind of stuff, the UN. Uh, <laughs> amazing, amazing work. Um, Rami, I'd love if you can tell me a little bit about this podcast you've created. You are um, co-hosting it with uh, Esther. Um, can you tell me a bit about the process and I suppose what drove you to choose the medium of, of audio as a way to kind of reach more people? Yeah, so podcasts and audio are just super accessible for people. They don't always want to sit down and, like, read something, um, but it, it, it pushes, like, conversation and, yeah, getting that information across, which is really the main thing we want to talk about is, like, words and, like, I don't know if that makes sense. Um, and we really wanted to help people get to know what Young Wolf is about, um, and expi inspire people to learn about different types of activism. So we interview different activists and, like, explore our own activism um, and just, yeah, think about where we all fit socially and what, how we're contributing to the world. Um, and there's also a way for me and Esther and other young pe members who might get involved to channel our activism um, and get our perspective out there. Mm. I think what you said makes so much sense about just, you know, being able to communicate in a way that is accessible, in a way that people can um, really grab onto what you're saying and understand and kind of become, or, you know, figure out people's positionality within, um, I suppose, a lot of mm. these issues around climate action and the climate crisis. Um, I'd love to know, I suppose, how you kind of went about so you've got the idea for the podcast so far you've had you had two episodes your guests so far have included amazing year seven student um sam Pensolfini from uh brisbane mianjin who is involved in the school strike for climate and stop adani as well as your most recent guest yasmin pool who is uh, primarily a climate activist can you tell me what goes into the thinking behind which guests you get on the series and what you want to talk about yeah so i mean we, we talked to Sam first because we knew that the September 25th climate strike was coming up and that's something that young people, who is us, really cared about and we wanted to kind of endorse the strike and also um, have our view listeners get to know what school strike is all about a little bit more. Um, and with Yasmin, she is just a really cool member of school strike, someone who me and Esther looked up to. And she's also, I mean, I said she was a member of school strike. I mean, young wolf. Um and we were interested in, yeah, like how she got involved with activism and that kind of story. Um, and our upcoming episodes, are one of them is about getting to know me and Esther so that, yeah, the podcast is a little bit more personable and you can see what our kind of motivations are and our interests. And we have one which I'm really excited about, which is all about Esther's story because she um, is a refugee from the Democratic Republic of Congo, um, 
and she spent the first few years of her life in a Malawi refugee camp. And so she, she's done some really great refugee activism and we thought it was really important to get her story out there. Mm. I love that because I think it is such um, a powerful way for your listeners to kind of get to know you but also to really trust what you're saying. I think that it's something that's talked talked a lot about in audio storytelling is just having you know really getting to know hosts and and kind of being able to then go on to yeah really feel invested in them and invested in the things that they're saying so I think that's um that sounds really exciting and I know that I suppose that importance of representation is something that you've touched on in the first two series and being able to hear from different young people and I think yeah I've worked in a lot of uh, youth organizations throughout uh, my working life so far and I think that it's definitely a problem that uh, young people are constantly underrepresented, misrepresented or just completely not heard um, on these really big issues which fundamentally will affect them and whoever comes after them. So I think that, yeah, it's a really amazing thing that you're doing. I- I'd love to know, I suppose, for you what it's like to to do this project and to to speak to fellow young people about the work that they're doing. I've, I've found it personally very inspirational so far. Yeah, me too. I found our guests so far super inspiring. I find Esther really inspiring. Um, And I'm really excited to kind of see where it goes as well, um, to see in what ways we can turn the podcast not only into stories of activism but into activism itself and we can talk about issues and, like, push our ideas and kind of, yeah, on the podcast. Um, So in my mind that's where we're kind of headed. We're doing a few more episodes about refugee activism I think coming up that'll be in the next like few months um and yeah I'm super excited Mm. I'd love to ask you something that you asked in your interview with Yasmin which I think is um something that's often important to reflect on when you're working in spaces of activism or advocacy where you are constantly having to push back against something that you don't agree with uh you asked her what does utopia look like for her and I'd love to to know that for you in your work you know when you see a a utopia in 10 20 30 years what does that look like for you yeah I mean first of all thank you so much for asking this question it's like one of my favorite questions because I think as activists we're all kind of working towards a utopia as just like a guiding inspiring vision of what we want the future to look like and we can't get anything done unless we're unless we're really forward thinking um, and I, so I think that's a really exciting thing to talk about as activists, what our utopia is, because it's definitely there in all of our minds. Um, and so mine is definitely a lot more kind of localised organisations like economies and people really connected within their communities is super important. Definitely we want climate action and climate justice in the next 10 years and into kind of sexism, racism, militarization, all of that stuff. But in a, as a more kind of realistic goal I guess if we could just think more community minded and less kind of like there's people in power and the way that as you know general people we get power is to kind of target those people and get them to think what we think but that actually the power can be more distributed that would be my utopia look it sounds pretty good to me (laughs) um Romy thank you so much for your time this afternoon it's always a real pleasure to chat to you and um yeah keep doing all the amazing work you're doing Thank you so much for having me.
such a pleasure. We are just talking there about the Young Women's International League for Peace and Freedom and their new podcast series that they have created. It's a podcast series that aims to inspire people to learn about the many different types of activisms that are going on in the world through a youth perspective. Um, I highly recommend checking it out. It is uh, an incredible listen. Uh, they've got two episodes out and uh, there's more to come. You can check it out on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. This next story comes from All the Best, a show where emerging Australian storytellers learn how to make audio stories. And it's a weekly podcast and community radio show produced at FBI Radio in Sydney in association with Sin Media and Triple R here in um, Melbourne. And this next story comes from their latest episode, Calm Inside the Storm. And just a heads up that this story contains mention of mental health and a brief mention of suicide. So if you do need support after listening to this story, if you do want to tap out, that's absolutely okay. Uh, you can always call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Jackson Brown has always loved big weather, but it took many years and a few detours before he's found his way to the Bureau of Meteorology. Tropical weather can be pretty unpredictable, and as we'll hear in Jackson's story, so too can life. I've always had a very um, detailed interest in, in what makes things work and why things are the way they are. So, you know, as a six-year-old, I was thinking about What's it like to be sucked into a black hole? <laughs> or, or where does life come from? What, where does it originate from? But, uh, you know, on a, on a more local front, I grew up here with, in the build-up, in the storms, and, you know, all of, it's a pretty, pretty horrible time. Um, you're always anticipating that storm rolling in. And I wanted to know what made those things work and also why the schools shut in the wet season for some reason. <laughs> They're just bigger storms. But... Um, yeah, I, this story is a wild one too because um, yeah, my life has been a bit like a weather chart, full of highs and lows. Um, so essentially, home life was fucked. It was really, really bad. Um, it wasn't a nice place to grow up. I didn't enjoy it. Um, but, you know, I, I found myself um, kicking around on the streets and running into trouble, breaking into the law. Um, you know, breaking into cars, breaking into houses, assaulting people, just being a general fuck-up. And um, that all caught up with me, um, and I was uh, given a juvenile diversion program. So for those that, you don't, that don't know what it is, it's essentially you'll complete the diversion program or you'll go to jail. So I decided to complete the diversion program, and I went off to, to boarding school in Queensland, and, um, you know, it was good. It meant I stopped taking away from the community and then I was starting to invest in myself so that one day I could, you know, start to contribute back toward the community. And um, I turned all my C's and D's and E's into A's and B's. I missed two days of school in two years. It was good. Um, yeah, I just... I'd put my dreams um, behind me. I'd 
didn't really think that becoming a meteorologist was possible. So I focused on something a bit more realistic and I joined the military. <laughs> Straight out of uh, high school, I went to um, ADFA in Canberra, to military university, and um, things were looking up, you know. I had a, a stable, stable um, home, I had a, a good education, and um, at the end of my first year there, I, I get a phone call from mum. And yeah, she told me that my sister Carmel had um, committed suicide. All that bullshit that I'd left behind in Darwin had caught up with her. And that was, was heartbreaking, you know. I had to, had to give up my dream of becoming a, an Air Force officer to go look after my three remaining siblings as well as my, my single mum who wasn't coping. So, yeah, I found myself back in Darwin... 19 years old, and uh, cutting, whippersnippering the uh, arterial roads of Darwin. And it was a stark contrast to, um, to, you know, having this sense of, you know, pride instilled in you by the Defence Force, and I'm cutting grass at the side of the road. And, yeah, it was a thoroughly depressing time. I, I abused, abused alcohol and just fell into a rut, but... Yeah, the ultimate thing was I was putting money on the table and I was helping my mum when in her time of need. And after a year, I saw that, you know, things really improved and I went and followed my friend um, to, to university in Brisbane and I met my lovely wife down there <laughs> in the first week. And, uh, yeah, she, you know things started to look up again. Um, went back to, to uh, the civilian, civilian world, had a bit of a silver lining. I, I, I wasn't railroaded on a, on a military career anymore. had all these uh, possibilities that were, that were extended to me. And, um, yeah, it went well. We, um, we, we travelled around, um, around Australia and as a birthday present, Esther had organised a surprise tour of the Sydney... Regional Forecasting Centre. <laughs> I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. Um, the, the supervising meteorologist thought it was the strangest request he'd ever had in 35 years of, a, of his uh, service. Um, but yeah, that kind of spurned me on. I, I was, it got the hunger in my belly again. And I, I cold called the Bureau and I, I asked for um, work experience if I had any openings. And um, they, they sadly didn't. So that was a little bit disappointing. Um, we continued our, our trip around Australia and um, we found ourselves in Melbourne. This was right after the, uh, the bushfires of 2009 where they had a number of people you know, pass away in the, in the foothills around. Um, yeah, and I get another call from my mum. And it's wet season in Darwin. And my little brother, he, he, um, he drowned in, in Rapid Creek. He got his leg snagged in a, in a rope. And I really wanted to do what I did just before, you know, just quit. But at the behest of my lovely wife, she, um, she asked me to stay, stay on the track. So, yeah, you know, here we were in Melbourne, fiery red skies. Um, you know, the city was just filled with sadness. I was... 3,000 k's away from my family and I was unable to do anything. It was just a, a sense of helplessness. And, yeah, anyhow, we, uh, we continued on. Um, 
I rang the Bureau again once we um, had got back into the academic semester and, yeah, I was offered a cadetship, uh, an Indigenous cadetship. So um, two months later, I found myself in the, uh, in the forecasting centre in Brisbane. And I'll tell you what, like, for, you, for those of you that don't know what goes into meteorology, it is immense. There is so much information that comes in from satellites, from automatic weather stations, from ships, from observers, from space-based observations. All of that gets fed into computer models and it churns out a forecast, which then the meteorologists look at and try to sort the, the crap from the good. <laughs> it was absolutely mind-blowing going in there and just realising, you know... The, the volume of work that, that was involved. And I turned to my wife and I was like, I don't know if this is for me. <laughs> but, um, you know, we stayed, stayed on that. And uh, it turns out it was a very good time to be a cadet in Queensland. It was uh, La Nina year in 2010. Uh, the two biggest uh, La Nina years on record in Australia. And we had every river system in Queensland go major in terms of flood level. Um, both sides of the divide, uh, the Murray-Darling system, as well as all the coastal rivers. We had the Toowoomba flash flood event where they got 300 mils of rainfall in an hour. And Toowoomba's on top of the Great Dividing Range. You know, it, you wouldn't expect there to be a flood. But nevertheless, there were cars floating down the you know, east street of Toowoomba. The, um, yeah, we had the Brisbane Riverine flooding. And I guess the ultimate thing that really spurred me on was Cyclone Yasi. Cyclone Yasi was a Category 5 system that barreled in and was predicted to cross the coast, um, according to the guidance, anywhere between Cairns and Townsville. Category 5 systems are pretty serious. They're very life-threatening. Very few structures will, will withstand that sort of wind stress, um, let alone the, the storm surge. Um, and in terms of threat to northern Australia, there's 350,000 people in that stretch of northern Australia. It's probably the most populated part of northern Australia. And it was really humbling to see the mechanisms at work um, kick into action. So all the severe weather meteorologists, the directors, were talking to state premiers, were talking to the state emergency service, were talking to the police, and getting people in the know, getting people evacuated, getting people prepared. And this system did cross, and it crossed, as predicted, you know, forecast to be just as strong. There was no direct deaths associated with it. And that was really, really good. Like, you know, in Queensland's time of need, my organisation came and assisted them and it was really humbling. And it was something that further spurred me on. So I continued my, uh, my path in the, in the Bureau and uh, I'm now a meteorologist up here and I hopefully can afford you guys the same opportunity if the situation arises. Thank you. You're listening to Triple R. That was Jackson Brown there with Big Weather Calling. That story was first told 
at a spun event in Darwin Festival in 2016. It's produced by Johanna Bell. You can subscribe to the Spun Stories podcast and also find out more about spun storytelling by visiting spunstories.net. But you can also check out all the best uh, wherever you get your podcasts from. And I did just want to say, if you do ever want to get involved in All the Best, they are currently accepting summer pitches and they also have lined up a summer boot camp uh, to learn the art of audio storytelling. They've got the likes of Osman Faruqi from Triple R and of of course 7am. They've also got Bev Wang from ABC RN Stop Everything. Just some really amazing stuff coming out of All the Best. I do, of course, have a bit of a soft spot for them, but if you do want to check out more of All the Best stories and how to get involved, you can head to allthebestradio.com to find out more. This is Beth AQ. Thanks for listening to the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at BethanyAQ or the Triple R website.